Welcome to Simon Says Inspire, a podcast about life, leadership, and building legacies. I'm John Simon Sr. And I'm Dina Simon. And today we have Dr. Richard Simon as our guest. Rich is Dina's husband and my son. He has a PhD in analytical chemistry. He is the Associate Technical Director of Global Analytical Network for Sherwin-Williams Performance Coding Group. Rich, welcome to our podcast. Great. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. We're excited to have you. Awesome. So, Rich, tell us a little bit about how long you've been with Sherwin and prior to that, Valspar. So, I've been in the coatings industry for coming up on 18 years. Started here in 2005. We decided to move away from California, away from the the West Coast, and move back to our more closely related to our roots where we grew up in the Midwest. So, so it started our journey to, to come back to the Midwest, raise our family here, and it's been a great move ever since. Well, that's great. So why don't you share with us, I know you went to the University of Wisconsin-Platteville and then from there, the University of Arizona in Tucson. So maybe tell the listeners why you chose those two universities. Sure. Well, I'm not sure exactly why I chose Platteville. I, I needed to, I wanted to go to a school that was, that was closer to where we lived growing up in Madison, Wisconsin, and, but I didn't want to be in Madison itself. I wanted to get away for a little bit. And Platteville was only, only a little over an hour away. So it was kind of a good distance to be. So I could, I could feel like I was away from home and you know, I when I went there, I was originally just going to do criminal justice for a major, and I, I ended up finishing that major. But I got really interested in chemistry at that point, and you know, finished off after four years at Platteville, and then decided to go to graduate school. Even though I wasn't really into science in high school at all, I I, I kind of really got into it in in college and was highly encouraged to go to graduate school by my professors at Platteville. And looking all around, I really got interested in analytical chemistry specifically. And Arizona had a great program that I was really interested in and a a couple of professors down there that I wanted to work for. So it was just a great fit. It was a great town to be in Tucson. So that was a great place to live in for a few years. Hey, so I came on the scene when you were going into your senior year of college at Platteville. And I don't think we ever talked about this because I just knew that you wanted to go on to get your PhD. And so that's kind of what I signed up for at that point in time. But talk more about that. So like, so it was your professors, like what made you, you know, take that move to go on and also to getting your PhD? Like that's a big commitment. You know, my professors at the time, in particular, Jim Hamilton was a professor. He was fairly new at the time, and he's still at Platteville. He was he was just very encouraging for me, and you know, really said, you know, if if you want to really get into this. And at the time, I was still interested in forensic science, so I talked about my criminal justice, and and that's really kind of how I got into chemistry was wanting to go more that forensic science route, you know, he really encouraged me to say, look and and shoot higher than that, right? You don't need to go and do that. Not that there's anything wrong with that as a career, but he he really said, you know, you're you're pretty smart. So why don't you you should you should at least give this a shot and go go and try this out. Right. And so that's what I did. So that was, you know, I wouldn't say that I really 
besides the forensic science really had my eye on anything else. And then as I went through Arizona, I really kind of figured out, well, no, there's a whole broader view of chemistry and and things that that I could do within my career. So, and many of the things that I've done in my career are very much forensic science related, but they're not necessarily directly for for the government, for a crime lab, those those types of things, but very very similar problem solving type type parts of of the career that I've had. So, Rich, as the associate technical director for the Global Analytical Network, <laughs> what is your day like? <laughs> so, well, so what I do is, you know, all of our analytical labs are are problem solving laboratories. So we're, we're talking about things where we're either working on upfront research, where you know we partner with our coatings formulators who are trying to come up with a new product. And if they run across a technical challenge, we're there to help them out. So that might be some some work that we have on the front front end. And then on the back end, it might be working with with an external customer. So a lot of our stuff and people think of Sherwin Williams, they think of a paint store. You know, we've got I, I don't even know how many paint stores, a few thousand of them across the country. And that's what people think when they when they hear Sherwin Williams. But a lot of our coatings are actually business to business type things. So we might be selling to a very large industrial customer. And we're going to be working on problems with them to be able to help solve their issues in the field. So we'll, we'll use our analytical chemistry skills to do that. I'm no longer in the lab. I, I stopped being in the lab maybe about eight to 10 years ago now, I guess. And so the, the groups that I manage, well, the groups that I work with, I, I end up managing them. So, so it's been a great, great time. I've transitioned into more into that management side for the last, for the last, you know, eight to 10 years. And it's been great. Well, you mentioned all of your labs. So where are some of the labs located around the world? So I have two labs in particular in North America, one in in Minneapolis and one in Cleveland. And then we have a host of labs and I, I they don't report directly to me, but I'm responsible for for a lot of their strategy and you know what they do and how they do it and making sure we have the right people and the right equipment in those labs to be able to solve very similar problems. So we have a number over in Europe, one in France, two in Italy, in the Netherlands, in the UK, there's one. Sweden, we have one. We have two in China. We have one in Brazil. So I've been fortunate enough to be able to travel around, visit with the great people that we have and 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 all of our leadership in those areas to make sure that we're that we're doing the right thing for the company. Now it sounds really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, and the international travel, I mean, that. so that's really been what, I know you haven't had to do it through COVID, but you started traveling maybe like three years leading up to COVID on a kind of international level. And then I know you're getting excited because you get to go get, go do it again, like that some of those travel restrictions and stuff have let up. Yeah, you know, I've been, I believe I've been in all of our labs, which has been great. It's been, you know, some of those trips are long. Right, going to Asia is a long trip, but it's been great, and we've got we've got great people. I've loved being able to to visit some places where maybe I would have never chosen to go there. Right, so I've probably been to China about probably ten times. I've been to Europe by at least that many times, and and Brazil a few times. So yeah, it's been great. 
Nice. And one of the things, John, real quick on the, you know, Valspar, Sherwin-Williams. So you started with Valspar here in Minneapolis, Sherwin-Williams purchased them. And so that acquisition happened maybe about five years ago or so. And I know we've talked about this, all of us have, but just what a great, what a great process they went through. And it's worked out very well for you. And it's always really hard when big companies go through those types of transitions, but they seem to have done a really great job. Yeah. You know, Valspar was very heavy on the industrial businesses. Only about maybe 20% of Valspar's business was what we would call architectural or consumer, something you would go to a store and you'd buy it and you put it up on your drywall at home. Whereas with Sherwin, before the acquisition, I think they were right around 90%. And Valspar also had a very large footprint outside of the U.S. The majority of those labs that I mentioned were all Valspar labs. So, you know, very different businesses. So when they came together, it was actually, you know, really, you know, they they were very complementary to each other. And looking back on it, I think it's, I think we actually crossed the six-year point just, just earlier this month. When you look back at it six, you know, from six years ago or look back at it now, you know, it really did turn out to be that way, right? It's, it's Valspar had its, you know, its, its strengths and Sherwin had, had its strengths, right? So Sherwin has traditionally always had the big contractor market, right? The, the home builders, the, you know, the stores and all the, in all the, the, in, in the suburbs, right? And you can go in and get your paint where Valspar really didn't have that. So, Rich, I'd like to step back over a few years and talk about your years at Clorox a little bit. Tell us what you did there, because right then, I think you were a little bit more involved in the analytical end of it than than you are today. Yeah. So, you know, so when I left Arizona, I I got recruited right out of there to, to join Clorox, which is in the Bay Area at the time, the R&D center, which I actually, they have a new R&D center, but it's still in Pleasanton, California. And, you know, I spent a little over six years there and started off just in an analytical chemistry lab, being part of the team. The team was, you know, I don't know, probably in 20 to 30 people on that team. And I really got to learn just, I mean, that was my first real job, right? Right out of school. So got to learn about how to be a, a professional chemist and had a really great opportunity to work with a lot of great people and a lot of really great products. One of the things I really loved about about working there is was being able to work on a product and then see it on a store shelves, right? You'd go into Target, you'd go to Costco and the Walmart and you'd be able to actually see what you were what you were working on. So that was really a, a a neat thing. Not just you can't do that with paint. It's a little bit different, but <laughs> it's it was it was pretty it was pretty neat. And I got to work on some really cool products. So tell us a little bit about the patents that you have under your name from working at Clorox. I do. I do. And my wife and my daughter remind me of it all the time. Yes, we do. <laughs> we we, we um, remind you since there's no royalties. Exactly. That's how you, why you remind me. So one of the big products that I worked on was Clorox disinfecting wipes. And I do. I have a number of patents on on that product. I believe I have five. I think before I left, we actually filed for seven different patents, but I had five that were granted. The first three were all about... So when I started working there, the the product, whenever you are, are creating a product and it has to, you know, say it disinfects or sanitizes, you you have to you have to actually prove that it works. And at the beginning, it was it was very it was very challenging. 
it didn't, it wasn't working in a consistent way. And so one of the ideas that I had ended up being implemented and it was, you know, obviously it was a, it was very much a team effort, but there was a group of us in analytical who, who talked about this and really came up with the idea of, of how to get the active ingredients right from the, from the, what we would call the non-woven, the paper towel basically, and get it delivered to a surface. Cause if it's not on the actual surface, then it's not going to, it's not going to do what it needs to do. So we figured out what the mechanism was of, of getting the material off. And that's a lot of what my career has become. It's a lot of what we do at Sherwin Williams is figuring out what we would call as mechanisms, right? Why does something do what it does at a molecular level? And so that's exactly what we did with that product. And, and yeah, I have, I have three patents on how to remove and then I have another two patents that were on a full new formula. So, but yeah, it was, it was great. That was, that was one of the, the, and it probably will be throughout my career. One of the, the coolest things that I've done at whenever we launched that product in the first year, if I remember correctly. And, and again, this was, this was early two thousands. It was the first year sales were somewhere between, I think somewhere around $250 million just in the U S. So that's pretty, pretty neat. I wonder what it was during the <laughs> pandemic. Oh my gosh. I don't think they could make enough. <laughs> I couldn't. Nope. They could. Rich, when you were at the University of Arizona, I had an opportunity to visit you a number of times there and I had a chance to meet Bonner Denton, yep. who I think was your advisor at the at the university. And I know you won't say it, but I'll say what he told me, that you're one of the best scientists he's ever met. Yeah. <laughs> and it's always... You know, from some hearing something like that coming from somebody like Bonner Denton, who is as who has achieved so much in his career. And I realize, you know, chemists probably aren't always, always on, you know, the front of newspapers and stuff, but he's, you know, one of the most accomplished scientists you could find. So hearing something like that from from him means a lot. Is Bonner still there? He's as far as I know, he is. I, uh, yeah. I saw I was able to uh, talk to him and saw him a few years ago. Yeah. So, John, also Cynthia Arnold, who used to be Rich's boss at Valspar at the time, she would tell you the same, that Rich is one of the smartest analytical chemists that she's ever worked with. And so, Rich, you think about going back to Jim Hamilton. Thank God he was who he was in your life when you were in college and encouraged you to go on to get your Ph.D. and and dream big. And and so you had that leader leader show up in your life and you know, put you on a path. And then also part of the reason you chose the University of Arizona was we didn't love some of the other choices that we went to look at and you were engaged at the time. So I had a say, and you loved the reputation of Bonner. So part of the reason that we went to the U of A was very much because of his reputation and you got to work with him. Yeah, it was, and it's just a great town, right? It's a great place to to live. It was it was a fun place to be for for our four years. It was it was affordable, right? <laughs> and and it it provided a lot of other opportunities, right? Particularly for you, you know, being a a very you know newly engaged and then and then eventually married couple. It was it was a great place to be. Yeah. Well, I can recall before you made a decision on going to the U of A, you and I visited a couple of the schools and we went to Notre Dame together and we went to Texas A&M. Yep. And you uh, you made the decision. I did, yeah. Actually, quite honestly, it was a very easy decision to make, right? It was... it. 
you know, I always tell people, and I told this to Mandy and anybody who's looking for a school, it needs to feel like home. Wherever you go, it needs to feel like home. If it doesn't feel like home, you're not going to be successful. And so that's that's the most important thing. And it's, you know, it Tucson felt like home. It felt like the right thing to do. Plus, it was a lot warmer than than Wisconsin at the time. <laughs> so, or, you know, to, to make that choice and be somewhere somewhere where we could we could be in the, you know, a little warmer climate. Yes. So, John, we should probably say, too, that for this particular podcast, we're focusing on Rich and his career because we could talk about a lot of different topics. And so, Rich, we're going to have you come back to talk about other things. But we mainly wanted to just talk about your career and the decisions that you made and the people that were you know, along that journey. So any leaders that that stand out to you that you would like to talk about? You know, our podcast is about life leadership and building legacies. So any fun leader stories that you'd like to share? Yeah. So, I mean, I've been blessed with having some really great leaders. I've had some really bad leaders, but I would say the thing that all of the the good leaders have done is they've been the ones who have challenged me, but they've also been the ones who have just let me be me. And what I mean by that is they weren't dictating to me. They were truly asking my opinion as to you know, how we should proceed. And there were plenty of times with, with many of my leaders, but, you know, maybe in particular, Cynthia, where, you know, sometimes she would love my idea and she's like, I never even thought about it that way. Yeah, I like that. But there were other times where she said, yeah, no, 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 I don't like that. I want to do it my way. Right. And and that's fine. But it's having those questions and a good leader is going to take feedback from, from people. They're not just going to, you know, dictate what it needs to be, you know? And I think, I think one of the things that I always struggle with, if I want to say one of my my pet peeves, like like just through my career, is not only just being dictated to, but when I talk to people, it's hey, well, we've just always done it that way, right? And I always challenge that, right? So okay, if it's always been done that way, why is it done that way? <laughs> and and oftentimes in business, a lot of times you don't get the answer, right? You you just get well, that's just the way it is, and it's like well. Maybe there's a good reason that it is that way, but maybe it's not, right? And let's challenge what that is. And is there a better way? Because maybe that was the best thing five years ago or two years ago or 18 years ago, right? And and it no longer is the case. So, but I always like, and and I try and do that with 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 my people who I who I, you know, lead is, you know, ask for feedback. Let them tell me what they think is the best course because I'm I'm not always going to be in a position to know all the details. So let's talk about it. But I never want to dictate to people. I think it's a two way street. Leadership is a two way street, and it's not it's not just top down. So what I hear you saying is one of the great attributes of a leader of a great leader is treating you as an equal. Absolutely, absolutely, and. And, and I think people underneath have to learn how to manage up too, right? And, and not be afraid to to jump in and say, hey, no, this is this is the way it should be done. And if 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 it doesn't work out, that's fine. But but you 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 need to have that two-way street, right? It it you you can't just have everything top down. Yeah. And the ability to present your case and and stick in that conversation. So what I have a question. So Jim Hamilton taught you how to, you know, how to how to argue and and take take what a book has to say and poke holes at it. But I think you probably had some of that in you even before then, because your father and I know you well and you like to argue about things. Me? 
Yeah. I don't think I like to argue at all. <laughs> I think I think everybody in the family thought I was going to be a lawyer. <laughs> well, you know, I always said the 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 a, a great arguer could argue either argue either end of the story. You can either be on one side or the other, but you have a good arguer can make his point in either way. Yeah. And, and, and that's, you know, I would say as a scientist, that's something you have to do. Right. And that's one of the reasons why I love being a scientist is you have to say, okay, if, if, if we do ABC, what is What is the result? But if, if we change something, you know, what's the expectation? What, what is the possibilities, right? Always kind of knowing. And then, you know, always, you know, for us in science, it's always letting the data drive it. So, but you always sort of have to be one step ahead. But yeah. understanding what your path should be, if something isn't what you expect, you have to be ready for that. Yeah. Well, you've and you've worked really hard. You obviously worked hard through school and through Clorox and now Valspar Sherwin-Williams and have had a great career, but you've put a lot of work into it. So it did, you know, I think that it has come somewhat easy to you because you are brilliant in that field. And thank God you found that because not everybody finds, not everybody finds that, you know, what's that thing that they want to do and where they want to spend their time. And so that's really a gift that you, you know, you had that path and you were able to follow it. Yeah. And I've, you know, I, I think I've ha- been able to have the best of that, you know, arguing with people, right? And for providing my case and having the data to show it. But I think I would have been a hard pressed to find a better career for myself. Yeah. Well, and, and in building legacies, and when your career is over years from now, you'll have legacies at both Clorox and at, Sher- at Sherwin Williams. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, and that part too, like the building legacies and just the relationships. So just yesterday, we had somebody that was in town that Rich worked with at Clorox. Michelle Rumpel and her husband were in town and we got to spend time with them. And you still have some Clorox friends that we get together with when we're in San Francisco. And that was, you know, we've been gone 18 years. So those are relationships that you had made, you know, 20 some years ago. You know, the best thing about Clorox was the people that I met, met some really great people. I had a great leader like there. Buddy, like your buddy, Glenn? Yeah, my buddy Glenn. So Glenn is, you know, is a great friend and Raj and Mike and, you know, all of those, all of those people. But yeah, it's been, it's been great. I, I had a great leader there named Dave Philosoff, call him DP, who was, who was a great leader as, as well. So, but yeah, I, it, it was I, you know, being young in my career, I, I to be able to say, hey, people that I met, well, I've been gone for 18, so I met them 20, you know, 23, 24 years ago. You know, it's been it's been great to have to have people that that I can still still hang out with, still trust, still, you know, still be really great friends. Yeah. Awesome. So, Rich, we're going to bring you back on for more podcasting. We need to talk about your passions, one being the Minnesota's a great get-together, your jeeping, your love for beer, your love for sports. There are so many different facets to you, but we definitely wanted to focus today on just talking about your career and the choices that you made. We now have a college daughter, and so I know that some of her friends and people that you've you know had as interns at Sherwin or Valspar, you know, people have come to you for advice any advice that you would give, you know, so if you could be talking to your younger self, any advice you'd give to the youth out there as they're exploring colleges and careers? You know what? I would say do it, do what you love. 
right? It's it's a long career. Do what you love, have fun, have fun with it, and and the successes will come. Great. John, any last questions for Rich for today? No, I think he answered everything that I had. And I really appreciate your time this afternoon, Rich. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I look forward to to talking about jeeping and beer and the great Minnesota get together and and anything else that you guys want to want to bring up and, and discuss. I'd love to do it. We love you and we're very proud of everything that you've accomplished. And thank you for being on our podcast. Great. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. All right. Until next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Simon Says Inspire, a podcast about life, leadership, and building legacies. We thank my husband, Rich Simon, for joining us while he was talking about his career as a PhD analytical chemist. We love the work he does and are super proud of him. And we will have him back on another podcast episode or two to talk about other things that he is passionate about in life. And as always, I thank my father-in-law, John Simon, for being my co-host in this podcast journey. And we look forward to having you all tune in again on the next episode. Thank you.